following is a recording of a sermon given at All Saints Lutheran Church in Ottawa, Canada. For additional messages and more information, visit allsaintslutheran.ca. Okay, we have two readings today. The first is from Matthew, Gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 26, verses 57 to 75. Then those who had seen Jesus and led him to Cephas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered. And Peter was following him at a distance, as far as the courtyard of the high priest. And going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus, that they might put him to death, but they found none, although many false witnesses came forward. At last, two came forward and said, This man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, You have said so. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered, He deserves death. Then they spit on his face and struck him. Some slapped him, saying, Prophecy to us, you Christ. Who is that that struck you? Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. And a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were, the, were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied it with an oath, I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and whipped bitterly. The second reading is from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 to 25. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is, gracious, this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you are When you sin and are beaten for it, you endure. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this 
you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. We're continuing our series that I've entitled Following Jesus. And uh, I chose those two scriptures. I don't know if you noticed, but in the, in the first one from the Gospel of Matthew, we have Peter's denial, and as well as how Jesus himself was handling the situation he was in. My, my plan is to share today from the second scripture, 1 Peter 2, verses 11 to 25. And it sounds like this is written with Peter's previous experience in mind because he he didn't live up to the things that he's now sharing with the believers in in his letter. And uh, it's quite a contrast. What he's encouraging them in is quite a contrast to what he himself had done when he was under pressure the night of his master's crucifixion. So we're looking at 1 Peter 2, verses 11 to 25. <clears throat> Excuse me. Verse 11 again reads, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. He's calling the believers he's writing to up to to note their distinct nature in contrast to the world in which they live so that they would live differently from the prevailing culture. When he refers to sojourns and exiles, sojourns like travelers, strangers, Exiles. The word was used to be aliens, not from outer space, but people from an, another country, another culture. When he speaks to believers and calls them, and by extension us, sojourners and exiles, so, some people, in my opinion, wrongly think that we are we are actually from heaven. Heaven's our home, and somehow we're stuck on this 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 earth that one day we're going to be released from. Every week in the Apostles' Creed, we say that we believe in the resurrection of the dead. We actually believe in a new heavens and a new earth. We believe that the meek, which hopefully is us as humble believers in the Lord Jesus, will inherit the earth. Being sojourns and exiles in this world has to do with the state of affairs that this world is in. Over the past several weeks, I've referred to this in in, in various ways. We We are citizens of heaven. We are born from above. 
And because of that, we are now we are being restored to the very image of God that God intended human beings to be. And as a result, we are different. And the discomfort of living in this world is not that we're living in a material world that God originally said he created very good. The discomfort is that the world is still under the power of the evil one. And we are like ambassadors of heaven, living the same life or called to live the same life that Jesus did. And if we do that, we appear very, very strange. I've been quoting from, I think I mentioned this last week, we're not crazy, they're crazy. We were born into an upside-down world where, where people live according to evil and not according to good, where people are turned away from God. And when we come to know the Lord really and truly, we are turned right side up. And we are now participating in the world in the way that God intended it to be with goodness and righteousness prevailing. But we're still in an upside-down world that's in process. One day God will completely restore it, and those who are part of that restoration now will inherit the full restoration later. But until then, we seem out of sorts because the world contradicts the truth. The world actually lives in not their reality, but in falsehood. And only the true believer who knows God's word knows reality in the way that it really is. And so we're like immigrants living in a foreign land. Some of you know what that is like to come to a a country such as this, where things are done so very differently. Sadly, too many believers do not feel like immigrants in this world. Too many believers find this world comfy and feel like it's home, when actually we should be out of sorts with the world the way that it is. Verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. The word Gentiles in the New Testament simply means nations. And it's most likely that that is how Peter is using the word here. He's not talking about non-Jews. He's not talking about non-believers He's talking about living among the nations. And as we live among the nations, as we all do, our conduct should be honorable so that when we're spoken against as evildoers, the people of the nation should see our behavior and it says glorify God on the day of visitation, that one day there will be a reckoning. And whether... This is referring to how in the day of judgment everybody will finally see 
who's been living according to reality and who's been living according to falsehood. And by the very nature of their judgment, that will glorify God. Or somehow they will truly acknowledge it, not too sure, but one way or another, God will be seen to be in the right. And those who have been walking with God will be seen to be in the right. But until then, the believer will be misunderstood. The believer's actions will be seen by the prevailing culture as evil. And yet, as believers, we try to fit in. Now, there's a right way to fit in. We speak a similar language. And as we will see here, there's a way to conduct ourselves. Peter says here in verse 12, we should live among the others in an honorable fashion. But notice that doesn't take away the tension. True believers will always be regarded as outsiders if we live as true believers. Beginning of verse 13, we read, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. And so we should go along with the structures of the society for the Lord's purposes. But is this an absolute statement? Are we supposed to be subject, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution in every way possible? That can't be. That simply cannot be. If the government tells me to shoot my child, I must refuse. Our government today wants to control the thoughts and minds of its citizenry. Is that the right term? Citizenship? The citizens? They want to ban certain kinds of, of, of speech. They want to approve of, of immorality, and that we cannot do. And he goes on, and hopefully it'll become clear. The second half of verse 13. I'll read verse 13 at the beginning again. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme. The word is actually king. Peter most likely means the Roman emperor as the, the highest human authority in the land. So he is supreme, the highest authority. Verse 14, or to governors as sent by him. So the emperor in that system sends lower rulers to various regions to govern. And they're sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Authority comes from God, and they have a purpose. They've been assigned by God to punish evil and to praise those who do good. But by whose standard? Any old standard? Is whatever they say, if the government says that up is down and down is up, does that make it right? If that's true, if the call to obey authority is absolute then what Peter is writing here makes, makes no sense. Because what do you do in a society where they say you're not allowed to believe in this Jesus of yours? Now, some people think that's the line. That's the only line. Or maybe there's two. So, of course, if I'm told to shoot my child, or anybody actually, not in state of war, I'm told to shoot my child. I'm allowed to disobey the government because it's life or death. 
And if it's about confessing Jesus or not, if they tell me I have to confess some other God or deny Jesus, I'm expected to stand my ground as a believer. But is Jesus simply about saying his name? Is that what it means to follow him? To follow him, does it mean just to wave a Jesus flag? Is it simply to confess the Apostles' Creed? Or is it to follow him, which means to live his life? And when living his life, imitating him is seen as wrong by the society, what are we supposed to do? Whether it's through the laws of government or just the people around us. And I think that, again, this will become more clear as we go along. Verse 15, For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. What is the good that he's talking about? Is the good that he's talking about the good that's defined by the political entities, by the educational entities, about our our parents, even? What... um, I didn't have as hard of a time as Robin did, both from Jewish families, when we came to believe in Jesus. She had a much harder time. Her, her dad threatened to sue her pastor over something. Didn't end up happening. But if she was simply to abide by what her parents wanted her to do, We wouldn't have gotten married, wouldn't have 10 kids. History would be very, very different. Where would she be today? So is, and there's more, and again, as I said, there's more to following Jesus than simply saying that he is Lord because there's far more than that or there's such great implications of what him being Lord is for our lives. And it's interesting here that it says that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. People don't understand godliness. But there's a way to conduct ourselves in doing the good that the Lord says is good that should show the goodness for what it really is and show that the foolishness of the world is foolishness after all. Verse 16, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. It seemed that some people, understanding that our allegiance is to King Jesus, ultimately, and not to Caesar, whoever Caesar happens to be in whatever day we're living in, that, that there's something about that truth that some people then thought, well, then I could do whatever I want. I can say anything I want. I can do anything I want. I can drive any way that I want. I can have any kind of attitude that I want. And I could see the logic in that, but that's not God's logic. That, yes, we are free. The emperor is not our ultimate authority. God is. His word always means more than the word of the society. But we're not supposed to use that freedom as a cover-up for evil. Which is telling us that the definer of good and evil is God. 
not the ruling authorities. It goes on, verse 17, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. How do you do that all at the same time? Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. First, there's a tension here because if we're going to fear God, that's going to affect our relationship to the emperor. And that's a tension that's not always easy to resolve. On the other hand, what we see here is what I would call a gentle subvert, a, a gentle subversion. The message of the gospel is Jesus is Lord, implying Caesar is not. How do you live that out? To think that the gospel, that the king of Israel was the true God and that all the other Roman gods were false and that he sent forth his son and installed him as king. All authority in heaven and earth, Jesus said, has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples, students, followers of all nations, teaching them everything that I've commanded you. That runs in the face of so much of Roman policy, Roman theology, Roman political system. And so on one hand, just the fact that you you think there's these Roman slaves by the millions or whatever the actual number was, there were lots of them in the Roman Empire are hearing the gospel, the good news that there was a king above the earthly kings and that they were responsible to put that king first. Well, Peter gets into this a little bit, not specifically with the status of slaves, but servants. Verse 18, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. The word here is not slave, but servant. This would be a household servant probably paid for his services. And again, basically he was telling these new believers who were subservient to a master to still show respect to them because it looks like it would have been easy for them to get cocky. Don't get cocky. And whether they're nice to you or not nice to you, treat them with respect because of the position they have in your life. Verse 19, for this is a gracious thing. It's like goodly, godly. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. And it's interesting that he's referring to these servants suffering unjustly, which must mean they're doing what is good and right, and yet still getting negative reactions from their masters. Verse 20, for what credit is it if when you sin you are beaten and are beaten for it, you endure? That should be obvious. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So what's the good that they're doing that they're suffering for? Is it simply that he brings the correct drink and the master slaps him for it? 
Could be. Or could it be that the servants are now living by a brand new moral code with King Jesus at the center and some of their masters did not like that. Their view of sexuality would become very, very different. And perhaps how they were then living would then create a bad reflection on the lifestyle of their masters. People don't like that when it happens. Oh, you're such a goody-goody. You're living the goodness of God because God says this is how to live and it's upsetting people because they don't like it. And you're making them feel guilty even though you're not saying anything. But clearly, we're not supposed to rub it in. We're supposed to be kind. We're supposed to be patient. We're supposed to do our work well without compromising the ways of the Lord in the meantime. Verse 21, For to this you've been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. What was Jesus' example? What is Jesus' example? He wasn't simply a do-gooder. He wasn't simply helping frail people to cross the street and saying nice things and patting discouraged people on the back. Jesus called people to radical obedience to God. And as a result, he was putting them at odds with both the religious and the governmental authorities who wanted to stay in control wanted to keep their positions. And so therefore, Jesus and his followers were a threat. They shouldn't have been a threat. But in order to not be threatened by Jesus and his message, that would mean radical changes to the system, both the Jewish system and the, and the, the Roman system of the day. Jesus' example of living for God, hearing God's voice and only doing his will, which caused so much trouble for him and his disciples, Peter actually couldn't handle. And in what we read from Matthew earlier, he caved. He eventually learned his lesson, which is what gives him the right to to write what he's writing here. Verses 22 through 25. He that is Jesus committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you've been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This is Jesus' example of living for God. He was a good man who did good that people didn't like. He died to sin, which is what we've been called to do. No longer giving in to our passions and our personal desires, but submitting to God in every way. To live for righteousness, the right way, 
God's way. Not the nice way. Not the world's version of what's good. But God's version of what is right. What Jesus did by dying for us on the cross brings us into right relationship with God if we entrust ourselves to him. And the result of that is to live lives as he, the same life that he lived. What he did for us, we who were straying like sheep, going our own way, doing our own thing, Through what Jesus has done, we've been brought back to the shepherd and overseers of our souls. And by the way, when the New Testament uses the word soul, it's not talking about that more important, immaterial part of us that gets to live with God one day if we believe in Jesus. The term soul simply means our lives. It's a a way of talking about us as people. It's not as if Jesus only cares about that inner part, that spiritual part of us, and the, and the body means nothing. Paul says, glorify God with your body. Romans 12, give your bodies as living sacrifices. It's really hard to live without our bodies. But sometimes Christians try. The way we might focus on, on so-called spiritual things. But then we, if we're going to follow Jesus... We look at what Jesus did. He interacted with people. He touched lepers. He broke, he broke the, the, the understanding of, of health regulations of his day in order to rescue people. He was not afraid to, to confront the harshest of evil. He wasn't contaminated by it. But instead, his willingness to break through social convention set captives free. This is what he's done for us. We who are straying like sheep have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. He is our shepherd, he is our overseer, which then begs the question. Who's really in charge of our lives? Ourselves? Our traditions? Government? The expectations of others? Or is it God? To follow Jesus means to hear the word of God and to obey him in every way. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you have rescued us from the falsehood of this age. You have forgiven us our sin that, is, that separate us from you. And your Son paid the ultimate price that we could know you and be your children really and truly. Would you please come and open our eyes and open our hearts. 
Father, would you please take away our fear and make us a people of faith in these days? Give us wisdom in how to navigate these times. May we not be a people intimidated by those who seek to control our lives, our hearts, our minds, but rather free us to hear your voice, to know your word, to teach your word, to call other people unto you, and to follow you, while at the same time understanding from you how best to honor those around us and not make unnecessary trouble. Lord, when trouble comes our way because we are following you, please give us the courage to endure. Please bless those who are seriously suffering in the world because of their following of you. But maybe we, may we be worthy of calling those who are suffering today our brothers and sisters because we too are willing to do whatever it takes to truly follow you in our day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For additional messages and more information, please visit us on the web at allsaintslutheran.ca.